Welcome to the Dear Black Boy Podcast, the therapeutic podcast for black men. I am your host, Montreux, a licensed graduate social worker in the DMV area. Our guest today is Andre Harris, a MSW and PhD student at the University of Houston. Andre is a sickle cell advocate and a member of many sickle cell boards and advocacy programs. Sit back and relax and enjoy episode six entitled Blood Brothers, Black Man and Sickle Cell Disease. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Dear Black Boy podcast, the therapeutic podcast for Black men. I'm your host, Montreux, and today is a special episode. So today's episode entitled Blood Brothers, Black Men and Sickle Cell. I don't know if you all know this, but September is Sickle Cell Awareness Month. And today, my special guest, Andre Harris, is a sickle cell advocate. And we're going to go ahead and get right into everything about sickle cell. And so today, I have, again, I have Andre Harris on the line. Hey, what's up, Andre? Hey, Montreal. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm well. I can't complain. I'm glad to finally have you on. I know we've talked about this for a long time, and I have been wanting to do a sickle cell (laughs) episode for a long time. So now that September is here... Let's get right on into it. So the first first question I want to ask you, and I know it may be ignorant to some, but exactly what is sickle cell? Because I feel like the name has been tossed around several times, but, you know, there's a lot of us, because this is a disease that affects primarily us, I wanted to know, like, can you give us a plain and simple definition of what sickle cell is? Yeah, so sickle cell disease is um, an inherited red uh, blood cell disorder. Um, And it basically is called sickle cell because the disorder is uh, termed for how the mutation happens in your blood. They turn from donut-shaped cells into hardened cells um, that are sickled. Um, So... um, that's why it's called sickle cell disease because back uh, when they first clinically uh, found it, um, they thought it resembled a sickle. Um, and basically, Montreal, what it is, is um, a deprivation of oxygen. Um, and the deprivation of oxygen makes the red blood cells shrivel. Um, and so uh, once the blood cells shrivel, they turn into sickle cells. And the sickle cells are um, not as they don't last as long as normal red blood cells. So that's why a lot of people with sickle cell have deal with a lot of chronic fatigue and tiredness because they are constantly going through uh, red blood cells and having to produce more. Um, but I'll leave it alone at that. No, <laughs> I, I want to get into something. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that because the blood cell ends up becoming sickle, I'm assuming that's where the pain comes in because those cells can't necessarily fit in the vein as it's traveling down the bloodstream. That's what I'm imagining. Um, you're you're basically spot on. So the pain, the chronic pain that a lot of people with sickle cell uh, really experience is because once those cells turn, mutate from the normal red blood cells that are slippery. Um, and basically lubricated, so to speak, and able to travel 
through the uh, the vessels, once they mutate to sickle cells, um, they become sticky and they become hard. So just imagine um, the blood cells scraping against your blood vessels as they are going through your blood vessels to travel to whatever part of the body that they're going to. And this is where the pain comes from. And and I guess we'll talk about it later, but I can introduce a term to you called vaso-occlusive crisis. And this is what the clinical term of what, when you hear people say they're having a sickle cell crisis, is because they are having vaso-occlusion. Their, their blood vessels are being occluded, which means being blocked or or scraped or cut um, by their uh, their sticky, hard uh, sickle cells. And I imagine that being extremely painful just sitting here talking about it. Yeah. So my heart goes out to anybody dealing with that. But I wanted to, so I did a little bit of my own research in regards to okay. sickle cell. And I noticed when the conversation of sickle cell disease came up, they also talked about sickle cell anemia. So like, what is the difference? That's uh, actually a wonderful question, Montreal. So sickle cell disease, um, and I'm trying to keep everything in layman's terms, sickle cell disease is basically the umbrella term for the, the, the types of sickle cell. So sickle cell disease um, has different genotypes. So me specifically, um, I live with sickle cell disease type SS. That is what we call sickle cell anemia. Sickle cell SS um, is uh, normally uh, viewed as the most severe, clinically most severe. Most people with SS have more symptoms, more pain, more frequency of pain and more frequency of symptoms than people with other uh, types. There are other types as in SC. Um, there's other types, beta thalassemia plus and beta thalassemia. Um, so there are hundreds of different genotypes of sickle cell disease. Um, but sickle cell anemia is specifically the genotype SS, and that's what I live with, and that's what um, people clinically uh, view as the most severe type of sickle cell disease. So having said that, um, sickle cell disease and sickle cell anemia, both sickle cell period, affects the Black community at, at alarming numbers. And so I was wondering, like, what are the statistics as in relation to Black men? Because I feel like, um, no, I, and I, this is just kind of like my own, like, observations, because I know people that mm -hmm. have had, that have sickle cell, and majority of them are Black women, and I feel like they have kind of, like, got a hold of it as far as, like, being able to seek treatment, get tested and all that. But, you know, us Black men, we have a hard time, like, going to the doctor and things of that nature. So I, I assume that it would affect us at greater numbers due to, you know, of course, stigma around healthcare. period. So, like, what are the statistics in regards to sickle cell within Black men? Uh, that's another great question, Montreal. So, first of all, uh, we really don't have official statistics specifically about Black men and sickle cell disease. Um, but I can give you a number that approximately 100,000 people in this country, um, the United States, suffer with this disease. However, um, people like me who are advocates um, and those that work in the research space, we definitely believe that that number is extremely low, um, lower than how many people are actually in the country. And that's 
a direct result because we don't get um, the amount of uh, federal research funding dollars that we should um, to be able to support the type of research that really would give us those robust numbers that other diseases have. Um, and then to really answer the latter part of your question, um, so like you said, being black men void of sickle cell, um, and, and this is a, a caveat. So part of my research interest once I began my PhD programs is black men's health overall, because there are so many different disparities that affect black men that can be remedied um, if uh, we went to the doctor more often, if we uh, got insurance, if we, you know, did a lot of things that a lot of women um, are, that they do and that they're supported to do. Um, so I say that to say a lot of men that I know that have sickle cell who are married, who have children, they always say that when they're in crisis, they, they smile and grin and bear it and, and push through it until it's too late. Um, a lot of men who, you know, are married, their their wives have to basically um, take them to the hospital because they they push themselves to the max. Um, and they they we've had different uh, focus groups and advisory boards and things of that nature about specifically black men with sickle cell. And a lot of them say that they feel embarrassed um, to admit to their wives or to their children or to anyone in their lives that they're not quote unquote man enough to be able to, to power through that disease. Um, and so they feel emasculated by having a chronic illness. And so these are issues we have to really discuss not only black men's health, but we also have to discuss masculinity in the black community because if a man feels that they are emasculated because they have a disease that they were born with and had no control over, um, that's a problem. If, if, men are too embarrassed to seek care because they feel like they're weak or that they feel like they're, um, you know, not man enough to be able to deal with it. These are issues why we're seeing disparities, not only in black men's health, but in sickle cell disease. A lot of young black men are dying with sickle cell disease at young ages. I just lost a, a friend um, not too long ago with sickle cell disease. Um, and a lot of this is due to not only what I just mentioned, but stigma in emergency rooms and healthcare. Um, there are a lot of providers that believe that uh, sickle cell patients are drug seekers, and especially Black men. Um, there is an episode of a show on Netflix, I think it's called Lennox Hill. I can't remember what number it is, but anybody listening and even you listening, if you haven't watched it, I urge you to watch it. There's a young black boy that goes into, well, man, I think he was maybe 18 or 19. He goes into the emergency room and the provider there really met him with a lot of stigma, a lot of just judgment and didn't get to know him and know his disease and what he wanted. She really um, basically assumed he was a drug seeker and and brought him in and brought him out so quickly that she really didn't address what was going on. This happens on a day-to-day -day basis for a lot of people with sickle cell, especially black men. If they come in there with hoodies, they come in looking like a thug, um, the providers are going to meet them with discrimination. Mm. And, and, and that's, that's an issue. So several things that I took away from that. So one thing is that 
sickle cell is immensely underfunded. And so with that, it makes it hard to do the amount of research that you need in order to kind of like assess the community and the needs of the community as far as sickle cell and treatment. Another thing that I took away from that is that, um, you know, kind of parallel to the whole Black women uh, at seeking services for, you know, during labor and pain, um, folks who have sickle cell are often discriminated against as well because the amount of pain that they deal with requires, uh, you know, drugs that you would normally, uh, you know, get over the counter or even prescribed at a primary care physician, like, you necessarily have to like go in and get these drugs. And because, you know, we're in the opioid crisis and so many other factors, it causes doctors to discriminate against black people who have sickle cell, who are experiencing this pain. I imagine to be like on a, a scale of one, <laughs> one to a hundred, a thousand, because uh, just basically how you describe uh, your cells sticking together and then scraping your veins and then next thing you know they got to go through other parts of the body I can't imagine the pain and so with that it requires like certain types of medication that you know typically doctors are kind of eerie to prescribe anyway due to the opioid crisis but needless to say yeah. that was that's loaded and that that's a lot to unpack it is, and doctor, and you know, I know we didn't uh, have this as a question, but the opioid crisis has definitely um, negatively impacted the sickle cell community. Um, like you alluded to, um, first of all, there needs to be more research um, earmarked for sickle cell specifically. Um, as someone who's been a, a sickle cell advocate from a policy and advocacy perspective, I've been to um, my state house, uh, formerly in North Carolina, when I lived in North Carolina, I have been to Congress, um, and there have been times where I've been in uh, uh, committee meetings or uh, uh, appropriations meetings, um, and people are saying, well, we need to see uh, a burden, a, a disease burden study, basically what it's called so that we feel comfortable with funding you. But then when we go ask for funding to do a, a burden study, then they tell us, well, we don't feel comfortable giving you funding because, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then also um, another issue is is the fact that, like you said, uh, the opioid crisis directly impacts Black people and Black men. Even though sickle cell is not a Black disease, the Black people who live with it are definitely more impacted in this country than any other race that has it on a national scale. So the issue is, especially, and one thing you did mention is the emergency room. The emergency room is really um, a battleground for sickle cell patients. That is where most people uh, go at more frequently because when we are experiencing pain, it's, it's not like something we could plan. So. Tonight, I may be trying to go to sleep and I have overwhelming pain that I cannot address with any type of prescriptions or medication or uh, treatment plan I have at home. Then that will push me to have to go to an emergency room. And more, than, more often than not, the people at the emergency room may not know you. 
Um, you may be uh, someone that goes to that same emergency room a lot because you do have sickle cell, but the persons that you probably built relationships with may not be working that time of day when you go in, so they don't know you. Um, they just see you as a black, in my case, a black man. If I had on, you know, sweatpants and a hoodie, they would think I'm some type of thug. Um, and if I start going in there, because another thing with someone who lives with a chronic disease, especially sickle cell, you know um, what you know how your body works, especially when you're an adult. You know how your body works. You know what your doctors do to make you feel better. And so you remember that. And so when you go to the emergency room and you, you're saying that I need two or three milligrams of Dilaudid and the, the providers and the nurses are looking at you like, what do you know about Dilaudid and why are you asking me about Dilaudid? And you shouldn't, you know, that is what triggers them into uh, perpetuating the discrimination and the racism because they feel like you're going in there trying to get high. Mm -hmm. When in actuality, you just want relief from your pain, right? right. And so one of the, the biggest, uh, uh, I think the greatest ways to alleviate a lot of that and ameliorate a lot of these issues is what a lot of people are doing research-wise is that they're doing research about how to fix this problem at the emergency room because a lot of these issues a lot of the reasons why people are dying with sickle cell disease especially black men at young ages is because of the issues of medical racism and discrimination and implicit and explicit bias in the emergency room so if we could fix how providers in emergency rooms think about sickle cell patients how they treat sickle cell patients we could we could fix a lot um and I won't, cause child, you know I get to talking. And <laughs> but that's a, that's good information, though, especially because we have a lot of people who listen to this particular podcast, who you know are in the medical field or who may be in medical school or nursing school, whatever the case may be. And mm -hmm. that is a good tip for them to learn and to address and you know question within their own particular study. So thank you for that. What um so with that like I know you touched on it a little bit but like what does treatment for sickle cell look like or and is there a cure or is there one in the making? Yeah, so um for I think over twenty twenty five years the only FDA approved treatment which is what I'm actually taking I've been taking this for sixteen years is something called hydroxyurea. Hydroxyurea was first um it is a chemotherapy drug. Um, but uh, it was first used in, I think, bone cancer patients. Um, and of course, through research, they found it could and would and did work in sickle cell patients. So um, a lot of sickle cell patients are on that and they, um, you know, pretty much take that every day. Like I said, I'm on it. I've been on it for 16 years um, and it, it really helps address what we call fetal hemoglobin. And I'm going to try to be as quick as possible, but I think this is very important for those who may not even know about sickle cell because it, it really educates about how the disease works. We found that fetal hemoglobin, um, I think until age six months up to a year, everybody has a certain measure of fetal hemoglobin that they're born with. After that mark of six months to a year, your fetal hemoglobin starts to wane off. Um, and that is when, if you're born with sickle cell disease, that is when the complications of the disease start to appear and start to manifest because the fetal hemoglobin wanes off. 
Um, so we found that fetal hemoglobin, and again, hemoglobin is, you know, the, the red blood cells. So we found that fetal hemoglobin is less likely to sickle. So if they found that this drug, hydroxyurea, increases the production of fetal hemoglobin in, you know, of course, your bone marrow manufactures your blood. So um, they figured out, you know, how to use a bone cancer drug to help address promoting fetal hemoglobin. So people who are on hydroxyurea, it promotes their fetal hemoglobin production, which in turn reduces their amount and frequency of pain. It doesn't eliminate it uh, altogether, but it significantly reduces it. Um, like I said, I've been on it for 16 years. And since then I could count on my hand the times I've been in the, the hospital and been very, very sick. Before then it was almost a weekly month, you know, twice, three, four times a month occurrence. Mm -hmm. um, also, there's something that just was approved, I believe, the end of last year, something called Indari, the brand name Indari, another brand name called Oxbrita, and another brand name called Foxellator. Um, I would be on here all night if I tried to describe all three of those, but those are three um, newer drugs that were approved by the FDA. And like I said, the last FDA approved drug we had was 20, 25, 30 years ago. So we went so long. If you... and that may not mean anything to a lot of people, but if you compare us to, you know, different cancers or HIV AIDS or diabetes, they're getting new drugs coming out the pipeline and down the market. It seems like three or four times a year. If you go to an HIV clinic, they have long sheets of, of drugs that you could take and they call them cocktails and, you know, you could combine to really fit your needs. But, you know, sickle cell patients don't have that. And again, because you mentioned it earlier, the research isn't isn't there. We're not we're not given the amount of robust research dollars that other disease states get. And I'm always the one in these advocacy spaces and policy spaces that always brings up we don't get the funding because um, of racism. And a lot of people hate when I say that, but um, until we fix it, I don't think we'll we'll see the funds that we deserve. Lastly, because um, I could get on a whole nother tangent. Lastly, I want to talk about uh, a quote unquote cure. So I want to say there is no universal cure for sickle cell disease. Um, I, I love people who think of me and love me enough to, it seems like every year during a certain time, there's this article that circulates Facebook and everybody on Facebook tags me about a lady who got cured of sickle cell in Chicago. She got cured of sickle cell, uh, but that quote unquote cure is not available to everyone. So here's my spiel. I think it cannot be considered a cure if it's not universally accessible to everyone. Right. So um, it's a it's a curative therapy, it's a curative treatment, it's a curative option, um, whatever you want to term it. But I just don't like the word cure because everybody's not eligible. So bone marrow and stem plants are are cures. Um, so there's some there have been people who have been cured of sickle cell for years. I think they've been doing these transplants for 20 or 25 years as well. Um, and there's a, a good cohort of people who've received these transplants and they are uh, basically sickle cell free. However, um, there's, there's a lot of uh, however's and buts. 
So for me, I um, have a half sister, and this will make all sense in a couple of minutes. I have a half sister who's 10 years younger than me. For these type of procedures, you you mostly need a full sibling match. So those people who have sickle cell disease who don't have full siblings, they're not eligible for any of these quote-unquote cures, and I fall into that category. My sister is my half-sister, um, so she would not be a full sibling match to donate her blood, uh, her um, stem cells or bone marrow. So again, that's another barrier to uh, a cure that somebody could actually benefit from. Um, so there's more research that's being uh, conducted to be able to find a cure where you don't have to have a full sibling match. Okay, so uh, there's a, because I told you I did a little bit more research too. I noticed too, mm -hmm. for those who don't know they have sickle cell or they have the gene of sickle cell that could possibly pass down to their future children if they decide to have any, what is that test about? Yeah, so again, these are all good questions. And um, I've, I've done a lot of these podcasts and people don't ask these questions. So I really appreciate you asking these questions because people need to know. So every this is how I say it. Just like, you know, we always promote getting tested for STDs. I think everyone, if they do not know their sickle cell trait status, I think everyone should be tested, regardless of if you're black, white, blue, purple, everyone should be tested. Again, sickle cell disease is not a black disease. So if you're uh, Asian or, you know, any AAPI or Hispanic, that's another segue. Uh, the Hispanic population is the second largest population that deals with sickle cell disease in the United States. So again, people, if they see that you're not black, they feel like you don't have it. And there's a lot of people who aren't black. And I know I just went on a tangent, but there's a lot of people who are white or Hispanic or AAPI who have sickle cell disease, but when they go to the doctor or they're in crisis, they are met with discrimination because they, the providers feel like they're lying or don't know or confused. And they go through a lot of, uh, well, I'm gonna test you to make sure that you have it. And, and that's another barrier. But anyway, so people, everyone needs to be tested to get their uh, sickle cell trait status. And there's, first of all, if you're grown, um, and you're, you wanted to get married, I tell people to go get a blood test so that you know each partner's status. Basically, they just draw your blood and they uh, process it. Um, and they tell you if you have the trait or if you don't. So here's how sickle cell is passed on. So again, sickle cell is an inherited blood disorder. It's genetic. Um, it is not communicable in, in any way. So I can't call from you and you get it. Uh, in order to have sickle cell disease, one um, of your parents, well, both of your parents have to have the sickle cell trait gene for you to inherit both of those copies of genes. So it's an autosomal uh, recessive gene. So that means I have to pull one copy of the trait from my mother and then another copy of the trait from my father um, in order to be born with sickle cell disease. So if, um, you know, you have someone who, uh, they both have uh, both have normal hemoglobin, then their children would not have sickle cell disease. Um, but again, that's another genetic podcast. Um, so they need to be tested to know their status because here's what we say. 
sickle cell disease can't really be eradicated and eliminated if everybody knew their their uh, 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 their status um, and were vigilant about who they had children with. If I knew that I had uh, sickle cell, well, of course I have sickle cell disease, and I wanted to have kids with somebody who has sickle cell trait or sickle cell disease. I, I personally wouldn't do that because I know for a fact that my children will be suffering from something. Um, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if you know your, your status, then you can make informed decisions. Um, but I want to go back, though, Montreux, because you could get, um, if you're pregnant, you could get um, an amniocentesis. That's how I was diagnosed. Before I was even born, my mother got an amniocentesis. Or um, pregnant women can also get um, a CVS test done um, before they even give birth to test to see what that child has. When the child is born, we have something called newborn screening. Um, and that's not just for sickle cell disease, but they test for hundreds of uh, congenital and genetic disorders in that, that screening. So when your child is born, they do a heel prick and then they process it and they give you the results. Uh, and then, like I said, then if you're a grown person who doesn't know, you do a blood test. And I wanted to say this also. Most people, um, if they have sickle cell disease, they're they're going to know it. <laughs> uh, most people who have sickle cell disease don't um, grow up to be adults and not have some type of symptoms, if that makes sense. You, you're going to know because you're going to go through a pain crisis. You're going to have some type of symptom. You're going to have, you know, a lot of sickle cell patients deal with strokes. I had a stroke when I was two. A lot of sickle cell patients uh, get their spleens and gallbladders taken out. I had to get my gallbladder taken out. You're going to have some type of complication if you have sickle cell disease. So it's very rare. It isn't uncommon, but it's very rare for people to grow up into adulthood, not knowing that they have sickle, sickle cell disease, get tested and find out they do have sickle cell disease. Now, I say that to say there are some people who have done that, um, people that I know personally who did not know they had sickle cell disease, but they had another genotype as an SC or um, something else, which like I said, the genotype that I have SS is clinically the most severe they may have a less severe genotype and luckily by the grace of God made it into their adulthood years and not had something too complicated to really alarm them that they had sickle cell. So um, if, if some, and I say that to say if somebody's grown and has symptoms, they, they shouldn't be grown and have symptoms and not know their status. Right. That's all I'm trying to say. Okay. And you, thank you for providing all of that information. That was some great, helpful tips. How do we, and when I say we, I'm talking about people who, uh, you know, may not be diagnosed with sickle cell. How do we support family and friends who do have sickle cell? That is, you're asking a lot of loaded questions that are, that need to be answered. Uh, if you have a cousin, a sister, a brother, a nephew with sickle cell disease, um, the best way to support them, especially, and I know this podcast is, is one of to hone in on black men. Like I said before, there's so many different social issues that, that come to play with black men with sickle cell specifically. Allow them to have the space to be vulnerable. Allow them to have the space to be weak. Allow them to have the space to, um, you know, don't pressure them into uh, those normal 
um, male gender roles and gender stereotypes um, because that could be very detrimental to them, to their health, to their mental health. A lot of men deal with a lot of mental health issues because they feel like they have so much um, that they have to struggle with by themselves. Mm -hmm. So if you have a husband, if you have a, a <clears throat> father, specifically with sickle cell disease, allow them that space to, you know, if you wanted them to cut the grass today and they really can't, allow them not be able to cut the grass, you know, ask your cousin to do it. You know, <laughs> if you have a father who has sickle cell disease and he promised you to take you to the park today, you know, understand that today may not be a day and he couldn't plan that he was going to get sick today or he couldn't plan that he wasn't going to feel his best. So I think that's one of the best ways to support specifically black men with sickle cell, but on a larger scale with anybody, again, allow them to uh, feel vulnerable without feeling the repercussions of that vulnerability. So yeah, allow them to be vulnerable without inflicting shame or guilt upon them. Absolutely. Thank you for that one. And I guess this is my last question. Like, What are some resources for people who have sickle cell or symptoms of sickle cell or may know somebody who has sickle cell or, you know, people who just want to get more information, where could you direct them to? Absolutely. Like I said, so I, I want to take this time to reiterate. I think if you do not know your sickle cell trait status, I think everybody, especially since it's September and it's Sickle Cell Disease Awareness Month, everybody should go um, find out how to get tested and you can find that information at scdaa.org. That stands for the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America. And they are the foremost uh, advocacy organization in this country that advocates for sickle cell disease. Um, and they have resources on their website that will help you to find an organization where you could get tested. Um, and then that also takes care of the other part of your question. That is a wonderful resource for you to use. Um, if you have sickle cell or you know somebody or you love somebody with sickle cell to find resources about um, scholarships, about, um, like I said, testing uh, agencies, support groups, um, their website is pretty um, robust with information that you can find um, to help support you. And where can people find you in case they want to, you know, ask you questions about sickle cell, get more information or get in contact with you, um, period. Yeah. So, on Facebook, I could be found Andre Marcel Harris, uh, Instagram, Andre Marcel Harris, uh, Twitter, Andre Harris 89. Um, I don't know what my username on Snapchat is, but I'm on Snapchat. If you could find me, that's great. And I'm <laughs> also on LinkedIn, Andre Marcel Harris. If you, if you search Andre Marcel Harris in any social media platform, you should be able to find me. And so before you go, for, you know, the little black boy who may feel alone that they're dealing with this disease and, you know, may feel isolated and feel like they are helpless and that nobody understands. For, you know, the black men or who may be scared to even have this conversation with his wife, his partner, whomever, about getting tested um, due to, you know, previous histories of sickle cell in the family or just wanting to find out. Like, what could you say to, like, what affirmation could you say? Yeah, I, I would just affirm, especially the young Black boy um, that may be living with sickle cell disease, 
is that um, you are worth it and you have something to contribute um, to this world um, and that um, regardless of what you're going through, you still have a purpose um, and that you could thrive beyond your diagnosis. Um, and to that, that father, that husband, I would say the same thing, but I will also affirm them, as I said before, don't feel that for bad to be um, weak in front of your family. Thank you so much, Andre, for coming on and just educating us more so about this disease and heightening our awareness. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. No problem. Once again, I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen to this podcast. As we all know, September is Sickle Cell Awareness Month. So I wanted this episode to provide information for you all to know more about this disease and how it affects African-Americans, particularly African-American men. If you would like more information on sickle cell disease, feel free to go to the Sickle Cell Disease website. It is entitled Sickle Cell Disease Association of America, Inc. And that website is sicklecelldisease.org. And if you want, you can also call toll-free at 1-800-421-8453. Again, that number is 800-421-8453. And lastly, as always, this podcast is not a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health practitioner. Thank you and have a good one.